Good morning, FCBC Walnut family and friends. Thank you for gathering with us on this online platform, which has been extended to YouTube premiere this weekend as well. The month of August is being used by our church to explore various ways by which we can continue to deliver content to you in your homes, but also to begin regathering many of you back to 1555 Fairway Drive for corporate worship. More details on that in a moment. Here are a few announcements from the digital bulletin that I want to highlight. First of all, all of you members that have registered for today's annual business meeting at 1 p.m. on Zoom, please check your emails and prepare to log in accordingly. This is a wonderful opportunity and responsibility for us as a church family to gather, to hear updates, to bear each other's burdens, to make decisions, and to pray together as one church family consisting of three language congregations. What a privilege, what a joy to see the gospel at work in our church and the brotherhood and the spiritual family that we can commit to. So I'll see you there, 1 p.m. this afternoon on Zoom. The month of August also contains quite a few opportunities for us to learn, to grow, and to serve. The long-awaited Red Cross Blood Drive is finally coming this Thursday. If you still want to give, please go ahead and register using the link in the bulletin. If you want to volunteer for this blood drive or any future blood drives, please email relief at fcbcwalnut.org. Perspectives is also beginning at Eastvale this week, and we want to support the first 10 of you that are wanting to take this class. So if you're interested, go ahead and email Galen. It's not too late to do so. As always, if you want to join a group or if you want to serve on a team, please email assimilation at fcbcwalnut.org. Let's run on a discipleship pathway together. Now back to reopening. This weekend was an exciting one. Yesterday morning, there was a group of us gathered who were there to test equipment, who were there to play music, who were there to record sample sermons and speaking segments because we're getting ready to come back to outdoor worship first. Please be prayerful for them and more details to come, whether in emails or in verbal communications as we gather during the week. Don't hesitate to talk to the pastoral staff and contact them or to reach out to your group's leaders so that you're able to be informed of the latest developments. In addition, for today's pastoral prayer, I want to focus on one particular aspect of ministry, and that is student ministry, which for us is found in GAP, the middle schoolers, in Unicoi, the high schoolers, and in TERF, the collegians. The month of August is zero month for us, so it's an extended welcome month by which we promote everybody, and then we also transition them into a new year of ministry, into new groups, we bring in new leaders, and we train them, and we communicate, and then we run starting in September. In fact, this past weekend, Pastor Kevin spent time with all of the Unicoi and Gap counselors so that he could train them on how to be effective counselors, but also counselors that can partner together with the parents and with the church. Alice and I got to spend the opportunity to also communicate with the grade level parent representatives who will be serving in 2020-2021. These teams for every single grade are there so that they can be communicators so that they can build community with each other and also they can be catalysts in the home and in the church for disciple making with their children. We know 
that both the church and the home are to partner together in this endeavor. It's not only one or the other. And so in this month, I want to give prayer towards these areas in student ministry. And let's not forget the students themselves who are starting school, many of them this coming week, after having their last school year abruptly ended on in person by having to go virtual because of the pandemic. Most schools are beginning virtually in this new year. And so this is an adjustment for our students. This is not something that maybe they were necessarily looking forward to and certainly something that they would plan for themselves. So let's go ahead and pray for them as well. If we're going to be a vibrant church of disciple makers, it begins with intergenerational discipleship in the home and in the church. So what a joy it is for us to be able to lift up student ministry today. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you Father. That our relationship with you, even in how we can address you and how we can pray to you, is anchored and rooted in this idea of family. And so God, as we go into this new school year, as our church is in the midst of our zero month of preparation, of training, of communication, we want to pray for Pastor Kevin and his staff and his counselors. We thank you, Lord, for their willingness to serve. And for many have been serving with the same group of boys and girls for years, investing in their lives, speaking truth to their hearts, applying scripture and challenging them, holding them accountable, but also walking alongside them as friends and as brothers and sisters. We thank you for them. And as they just had their retreat this weekend, we pray, Father, that what was planned and discussed and what was worked out would bear much fruit in this coming year. We also want to pray for the grade level parent representatives of every single grade who are there to build community amongst the families who are there to communicate on behalf of the staff and also who are there to be catalysts for what you're doing in the midst of their homes and in our church. We ask God that you would be with them, especially as we are preparing for a parent's orientation on August 21st. We ask you, God, to begin now to see all of these other families in their grade as their ministry, as people that they can invest in. And we pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will supernaturally knit the hearts of the parents in each grade together so that they can start the year together as one, knowing what a difficult and challenging year this is going to be. We thank you, Father, for the parents that are invested. And we want to pray for our homes to partner with our church, just as much as we want the church to be there to serve the homes. Finally, we want to pray for the students themselves. Whether they're in elementary, whether they're in middle school, high school, college, grad school, this year is a year like no other. As we're in the midst of the pandemic, we ask God for your grace upon all of our students as they prepare to begin. Whether it's getting all the materials, whether it's getting all the registration info, whether it's making all the adjustments that are needed and commuting and they're scheduling a home. God, that you would strengthen them, that you would help them to keep their eyes on you. God, that they are in school for your glory, that they're in school to do their best because you have gifted each and every one of them with capacities and gifts and interests that can be used to love you and to love others in every aspect of life. And so God, I pray that you be with them, especially many of our students that maybe through this pandemic have felt disconnected, have felt lonely, have not had the same motivation or desire to return for a new school year that 
initially would look very similar to the one that just ended. So God, may you fill them with your Holy Spirit. May you point them to you, knowing that their identity is first and foremost in Christ, and it's because they are beloved sons and daughters that then they can pursue their academics and they could be salt and light on their campuses, whether virtually or personally. We also want to pray for our students. Many of them have burdens for their friends who are not Christians, but also many of them may not be followers of Jesus themselves yet. God, that through this pandemic, through this crisis, through the confusion that is happening in our society and culture in many fronts right now, in the sense of lostness and turmoil that maybe many of our students feel, God, that we would see the beauty of Christ, that we would see how much you have loved us to send your son to save us from our sins, and that the call to repent and follow your son Jesus is one that is available and relevant and important for all of us. We pray for all of our students that they will come to know Jesus to begin the school year and as they go. Father, soften our hearts and open our ears to the preaching of your word from the book of Ezra. In Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen. Good morning, church. I'm so happy that we can meet online today for Sunday worship and also for God's word. Many of you are sitting in your living room maybe with a group of family members or loved ones, or by yourself. It's okay. Let's come together and open our hearts to God's Word. If you are in a group, tell each other, let's prepare our heart to receive God's Word. God has something to say. If you are by yourself, just tell yourself, well, God has something to say. God's Word, go out, will not return in vain. I better hear. I better listen carefully. And let's prepare our hearts and open our hearts to receive God's word together. This morning, as we look at the topic of the sermon, a return trip, it is so appropriate as even our church is thinking about returning to outdoor worship. And we believe that there must be something we can learn from Ezra and his uh, entourage of uh, 5,000 people, men and women and children coming back to uh, Jerusalem to bring spiritual revival to the whole team. How do we come back and be spiritually revived? What are the issues that we need to look at as we come back together? Okay, so first of all, I want to share with you, return, first of all, with a high view of God. Return with a high view of God. Now, look with me in your Bible in verses 21 to 23, and later on in 31 and 32. You can choose to read together with me. If not, then listen Carefully, attentively, read your Bible, look at your cell phone's Bible, and let's read God's word together. There I proclaim a fast, then I proclaim a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from Him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king. The hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. Verses 31 and 32. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month 
to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and He delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from the ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days. Return with a high view of God. You know, it takes a lot of preparation for Ezra and his team to be able to come back. God has to prepare a spiritual leader, and God stirred the heart of the king Artaxerxes to declare an uh, issue uh, an edict for them to to have the permission to go back. And uh, the Levites and the temple servants were recruited. Funds were being raised, and even the genealogy of the five thousand people who will journey with Ezra back to Jerusalem were checked and found up to be actually true Israelites. And with all these many, many details of thinking, the leader, the spiritual leader Ezra, is calling the people to come back to fast and pray because the responsibility to lead five thousand men and women and children to go back to Jerusalem is so overwhelming to Ezra. And as they pray together, it is a show of humility, as the Bible says in verse twenty-one. And it is a time to seek God for His protection. Why? Because a lot is at stake. Okay, think about the safety. Think about the children and the women. Think about the protection of the valuable offerings that they receive. About twenty-eight tons of silver and gold and pure copper given by the king and the Persian officials and also the Israelites who were in exile. And there's a lot of responsibility for a leader. But more importantly, it is the reputation of the Lord who, which is at stake, because He says, "I feel ashamed to ask for the protection of the horsemen and the soldiers from the king, because I told the king the hand of our God is for good on all who seek Him, and the power of His wrath is against all who forsake Him." For the reputation of God. Ezra feels that he has to pray and ask God to deliver them and ask God to fulfill His promise of protection without the military escort from the king, so that they can arrive safely in Jerusalem. See, a lot is at stake, and we better pray together. You know, when we come together, we often think about the logistic problems and setup and process, but do not neglect. The spiritual preparation as well. Prayer is as essential, and sometimes we need to fast and prayer. You know, fasting is really to help us to pray more focused and more intent. Fasting facilitates prayer. Fasting is not a way to manipulate God, but rather fasting is allow us to focus without being distracted by food, by taking time to eat, by taking time to prepare food. And helping us to come together in that great way. So, by the river of Ahava, for three days they fasted and prayed. You know, we don't know exactly where is River Ahava.、Uh, some scholars feel that this can be a canal in the city of Babylon that runs into the Euphrates River. But it was by that river bank that they gathered together to pray and to fast and to seek God and ask God to protect them without. The military escort from the king. You know, in even in verse twenty-three, as they pray, they also receive assurance that God will answer their prayer. In verse twenty-three, he says, "So we fasted and implored our God for this, and He listened to our entreaty." God listens, and God 
will do His will according to where He wants to uh, lead them and guide them through this process. And you know what? When they pray and fasted together, and look at the result in verses 31 and 32. Verse 31 says, Then they departed from the river Ahava on the twelve days of the first one to go to Jerusalem. And verse 32 says, They came to Jerusalem. They arrived safely. And all it said for this ensuing time is that the hand of our God was on us and He delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. So there were ambushes along the way. And there were enemies trying to disrupt the whole trip. But they gave no detail. The whole focus was on God's protection, God's promises fulfilled as He has answered their prayer to protect them and to arrive and to go back all the way to Jerusalem. You know, it is so wonderful that we see they come back together for the glory of God because they have a high view of God. They come back together because they cared about the name of the Lord, because God has promised to lead them. And God's servant Ezra has told the king that our God will protect us. Now God's reputation is at stake. So God, please deliver us as you have promised so that the foreign king will be impressed and give glory to our God and not to the military might. That's what Ezra wanted to do, to uphold the glory of God because he has a high view of God to come together. You know, other Biblical characters also have a high view of God. Abram has a high view of God. You know, one time, his nephew, Lot, who lives in the city of Sodom that time, uh, was under captivity and he was captured with his children and family and, and other citizens of Sodom. And when Abraham heard about that, you know, together with 318 servants of the household, they went and by God's power, they delivered them, brought them back, not only the household of Lot, but also other citizens of the city of Sodom. And the king of Sodom was so happy that it was recorded in Genesis chapter 14, 21 and 23. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, all my citizens, but take the goods for yourself. All the plunder to receive, it is rightfully yours. You know what? In verse 22, Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, means I pray to God, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. Abraham set his heart to not share God's glory with anybody else. He wants God to receive glory and God alone. So he refused to take any plunder that was offered by the king Sodom because he has a high view of God. Not only Abraham, but King David. You know, one time King David was counting and numbering the, the people in the land of Israel, numbering the men, the males, so that they can think about another conquest you know, and increase their military might, which doesn't please the Lord. And a plaque was sent uh, like what we received today, uh, like a plaque, you know, COVID-19. A plaque was sent to the land and many people died from there. And David knows it's a judgment from God. So he pleaded before God, he confessed before God and asked God's forgiveness. And God told him to buy a piece of land and build an altar and offer sacrifice before God and burn offering so that forgiveness can come to the land. 
So he came to this man called Aranoa and asked for the piece of land. And it is recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 23. And Aranoa said to the king, and this old king, Aranoa gives to the king, let me give you the plot of land because it is for the benefit of the whole nation. And he said, may the Lord your God accept you. Use it and offer a sacrifice to God. But verse 24, the king David said to Aranoa, no, I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offering to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. Meaning, I will not give freebies to my God. I will not give discounted goods to my God. I will not give used goods to my God. I give the best to my God. I will pay the price to acquire anything so that I can offer it to my God. A high view of God. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea of the land and the plague was averted from Israel. A high view of God from King David. But not only that, Paul, the Apostle Paul, has a high view of God. In the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul has a high view of God that when he compared Christ, following Christ as a disciple of Jesus Christ to take up the cross to follow Jesus and compare that with all the material things in this world, reputation, money, and bank account, and possessions, and things like that. He said, I consider all these material things as rubbish. It's no comparison. That's his value. He valued Christ. He valued God, a high view of God. You know, today, as we prepare ourselves to return to our church for the reopening of outdoor worship, we must come back with a high view of God. It's for the glory of God. It's to make a statement that our God reigns. It is to come together as a church and say, the church is not being shut by any kind of guidelines or any kinds of order. We will continue to worship God, whether online, whether in a parking area, whether by ourselves, or whether coming together. You know, we will continue to worship God. That the church has a physical place, but the church is also individual Christians. We are the church. We are God's people. We will worship God. You must come back with this high view of God. You know, it's interesting that we see how Ezra refused the king's military escort for protection so that God gets the glory. And he pleaded before God and said, God, we must deliver now. Please protect us. And God delivered them from the enemies and the ambushes, and they arrived safely in Jerusalem. But 13 years later, another spiritual leader used greatly by God, Nehemiah, when the king, the same king, offered him the military escort for protection. He accepted it. He actually came back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall, the city wall of Jerusalem, with the military escort from King Persia. Now, two godly men, different approach to the offer of the military escort. 
Both are accepted by God, used by God to accomplish great things. You know, when we glorify God, the expression can be different. When we have a high view of God, high view of God is non-negotiable. But how do you express it? It's different from leader to leader as they weigh the condition, as they look at the motives, as they look at the needs, as they look at God's glory. They would craft a path that is best for God's will to be done in their lives. You know, in the midst of COVID-19 pandemic. Churches responded very differently to the governor's order. And it confuses many Christians. And people ask, you know, why are we not following a certain pastor? Why are we not following a certain church by doing this or by doing that? Some churches choose to uphold the reputation of God on the ground of religious liberty by defying the governor's order. They worship indoor. Um, they downplay the COVID-19 potency to a common flu. They consider safer at home order as a politically motivated thing to do. And some choose to uphold the governor's order by obeying uh, and, and move the church to online worship and move ministries to online. And others, mega churches, in fact, shut down the physical church, physical building, and move into house church format so that they can break into smaller groups and keep worshiping and keep doing ministry to bless the neighbors and to honor God in their lives. And other churches, they have the backyard worship. Some, they move to public parks. And others, they move to outdoor worship. And if you listen to them, they all express a deep conviction that it is from God. And you know what? We need to respect them for their convictions and the path that they are crafting for their congregation to move forward, to continue with worshiping and ministry. But remember, we must respect the freedom in Christ for non-essential issues like this. How to respond to a pandemic and think of a safe way to protect our people and our community and also to honor God in this whole process. Respect the freedom in Christ to choose the right path for each congregation. You know, for our church, we choose to uphold the reputation of God by obeying the governor's order to not worship indoor. So we are moving outdoor now and get things ready in a, in a few weeks to be able to do outdoor worship. But we are always eager to come back indoor again as we experience the full church life when it is possible later. You know, to us, it is an expression of love of our neighbors. That in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, we journey together. Our church do not want to be a hotspot of coronavirus infections, and that will not be a good testimony to our neighbors. As a predominantly Chinese heritage church, we have a lot more to consider as compared to other churches. Uh, we are a unique church. We have three languages. We have immigrants and we have American-born. Uh, it is in a presidential election year, and the next few months will be very, very intense in campaigning. And it will not be pretty if we remember how in the past presidential elections as it get closer to the time of voting. We look at a trade war between U.S. and China. We look at China being the main topic, a very heated topic as a campaign issue for uh, the, the candidates. And we look at the increase of anti-Asian sentiments. Uh, we look at our neighbors. We think about our vision of a vibrant church uh, who loves passionately, lives 
authentically, gives generously and goes courageously. We consider the unity of the church. We have a lot to consider. And we have to understand that what other churches are doing may not be transferable to a Chinese heritage church. See, when a Chinese heritage church have COVID virus, coronavirus outbreak or defying the governor's order with the I dare you attitude, we will most likely be treated very differently and the repercussions would not be positive. We cannot put our church to such a risk and allow the Lord's name to be tainted in such a manner. You know, we are reminded of the gospel message that Jesus is our peace. And the pastors are called to love members who are Republicans and members who are Democrats and members who are independent. We have to love our neighbors as ourselves, as the Bible says, that in a crisis, unity really matters. Unity is on the heart of our Lord and it should be on our heart as well. We don't want our church, our Christian message, our heritage to be used to serve others' agenda. We are here to serve God's agenda. You know, we have increased pressure from some concerned individuals to take a stand, to state our position. Well, today, I want to let you know our position. Our position is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. Paul says, For I decided not to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's where we stand. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why? Remember that in the church of Corinth, Christians were campaigning for four candidates. Some are for Paul, others are for Cephas, that's Peter, others are for Apollos, and some others are for Christ. They even use Christ's name as a candidate. Can you believe that? And, and they were trying to outdo each other, outperform each other to see who is better, who is more superior, who has a, a, a higher, higher uh, you know, att attainment of spirituality. And, and it was divisive and contentious. Paul, in fact, says that they were quarreling and they were having strife and they were uh, 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 getting in jealousy. But in the midst of a divisive and contentious environment, Paul has decided to focus on the gospel. What is the gospel? Jesus and him crucified. In a very contentious time, in a time where we are tearing apart in society, polarizing, this is where we stand as a church. Christ and him crucified. Now, don't get me wrong. We must vote. We will vote, even as pastors. We need to study the issues at stake. We will participate in a whole democratic election, as you should do, all of you. And yes, politics is one of the platforms to serve God's agenda. But for the church of Jesus Christ, we are called to serve God's agenda. Gospel is the center of our focus. Christ and Him crucified. So today I call on the church to pray together. Pray for wisdom like Ezra. Pray for wisdom and pray for discernment. And pray for unwavering stand with the gospel. And vote, vote with what the Lord has convicted you. But respect each other's choice of the candidate. That we must do. We must return with a high view of God. Not any political party. Not any candidate. Not anyone who used the church to campaign. 
not anyone who pressure us to rally the church to vote for a certain candidate. We come together for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's a high view of God. That's how we return. Secondly, how do we return? We return with an integrity of heart. Verses 24 to 30 and 33 and 34. Now, if you like to, I would invite you to join me in reading God's Word together. If not, you will listen, read your Bible, take out your cell phone, and let's look at God's Word together. Just reading God's Word alone is a powerful expression of submitting ourselves to the teaching of God's Word. Okay, look at verses 24 to 30. Then I set apart 12 of the leading priests, Zerubiah, Hashabiah, and 10 of their kinsmen with them. And I weigh out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present and offered. I weigh out into their hands 650 talents of silver and silver vessels with 200 talents and 100 talents of gold, 20 bowls of gold with 1,000 derricks and two vessels of fine bright bronze as precious as gold. And I said to them, You are holy to the Lord, and the vessels are holy, and the silver and the gold are a free will offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers' houses in Israel at Jerusalem, within the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites took over the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. Now, look at verses 32 and 34 and see how what happened. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days. On the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of Merimoth, the priest, son of Uriah, and with him was Eliezer, the son of Phinehas, and with him was Levites, Jezebel, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benui. The hall was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. You know, even as we read the scriptures, you can, you can see the resonance with the theme, with the, with the second title of returned with an integrity of heart. You see, Ezra is a wise leader. He understands that if you start your campaign, if you start your ministry to bring spiritual revival to the nation, and if there's a scandal outbreak, it will just demoralizing the people. Uh, it would discredit the leader. It would discredit the whole movement. That is not allowed. And in order not to have any scandal that may derail the spiritual revival that God has called Ezra to do, they have to be very, very careful. Above reproach, integrity, transparency, and make sure a tight system and process is in place to ensure all these responsibilities. Why is he so concerned? He was so concerned because there were 7,500 pounds of gold. That's 1,000 talents. A talent is about 77 to 75 pounds. 7,500 pounds of gold. That's a lot. Now, there are about 49,000 pounds of silver. You talk about 650 talents. That's how many pounds were involved. That together, you talk about about 25 to 28 tons, tons of these precious metals. It is very tempting 
it is not easy to keep yourself upright. The temptation is great. So he must think ahead before they set out to the journey to go back to Jerusalem. They must think ahead and plan accordingly so that they are above reproach and transparency is in place and accountability and integrity will be the mark of the whole journey back to Jerusalem. So before the return trip, they, uh, Ezra led by example in transparency and integrity. In verse 24, it says, he sent the leading man to be involved in the whole process. Twelve leading priests were invited to share in the accountability process. And verse 25, the valuables were accurately weighed before a group of witnesses, this 12 leading priests. Not just Ezra by himself, but there were witnesses around him. And in verse 29, it says, a clear job descriptions and accountability was given. Ezra clearly told them, guard them and keep them until you get to Jerusalem. Then you weigh and account it before the chief priest and the Levites there and make sure everything is exactly transferred. Everything is counted for as you bring it back to Jerusalem so that everything is above the table. And we can see clearly that nothing is being used for personal needs and personal process. So everything was accounted for and it was recorded. Names were recorded. The weights were recorded. Every item was counted. Were counted. In full amount, full accountability, and full transparency. You know, what was the spiritual impetus to allow this whole team of people who were given with this heavy responsibility to be able to deliver in such a righteous way? I think it hinges on that verse in verse 28. Look at verse 28. It says, And I said to them, You are holy to the Lord. And the vessels are holy, and the silver and the gold are a free will offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. So, guard them and keep them until you weigh them at the end of the journey in Jerusalem. You are holy. You are called to be set apart for God's use. So, be holy. And all these vessels are holy. It is set apart to be used in the temple to worship God. And this is the gift from other people. This is a free will offering. Not for you and not for me, but to the Lord. You know what was Ezra telling them? Basically he's saying, remember, this is not yours. Everything is set apart for the glory of God. Handle with care. That's the underlying message. This is not yours. You are only delegated to handle this and move this and make sure everything is counted for back to Jerusalem. You know, brothers and sisters, as we return for the worship, this is how we should return. We should return to be above reproach. And that's why for the reopening task force, we have chosen four principles. Legality, safety, sustainability, and glory. See, we want to serve our neighbors and community in the COVID-19 pandemic. We want to care about their health by obeying the law of the land, to stand together with them, to fight and to suppress the curve, 
so that we can return to outdoor worship and later on full worship when the crisis is over. By then, if we do that with these guidelines, we have earned our right to continue to stand in this community in 1555 Fairway Drive to carry on our ministry and to bless our neighbors and to earn the respect from them when we journey together with them. I remember the Lutheran pastor in Germany during the Second World War, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was against Hitler. He was against the Nazi party. And he spoke openly against it. And he was under pressure. So his friends, he's a theologian, his friends in, in New York invited him to come to New York to teach with the intention that he may be able to stay in New York and live in the U.S. and to avoid tensions or captured by the Nazis. But as he was coming, as he was there, he was reflecting on that. He said, I have made a mistake in coming to America. I must live through this difficult period in our national history with the Christian people of Germany. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. I have no rights to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. I can't help but be reminded of this saying of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We must stand with the community, stand with our neighbors, so that when the crisis is over, we have the right to participate in the reconstruction of our community in spiritual revival for the glory of God. That's why we choose legality, safety, sustainability, and glory. So with integrity, we can earn respect from our community. We can earn respect from our church members. We will have the spiritual authority to lead and to serve. See, when we care about legality, safety, sustainability, and glory, we earn the heart of our community to allow us to stand in this place for Christ and for the gospel, and they will continue to welcome us. And they will, they will come to us for our voice, for our view, for our stand, because they trust us to always do the right thing. You know, some say the way we put these four guidelines may appear as if we prioritize legality first and God's glory later. But I think that was not the intention. You see, legality is for God's glory. Safety is for God's glory. Sustainability is for God's glory. When we obey the authority, as long as the authority doesn't close down the church or stop the worship, you know, we can still honor God in that way. We care about the safety of the people because life is sacred. Life is given by God. We care about their life. It gives glory to God. Sustainability. When we are able to carry on with the work and not do things haphazardly and able to sustain the work and not drop the ball, it gives glory to God. Excellence honors God. All these are for the glory of God. Ultimately, it is for the glory of God. Thank God they came back with integrity. And this is how we should come back, with integrity. So after they have dealt with a high view of God, and after they have dealt with 
the integrity of heart, they were ready to set out for the journey to return to Jerusalem. As verse 31 says, Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And they finally arrived there. And what did they do when they arrived there? They all not only returned with the high view of God and with the integrity of heart, they returned to a robust worship. They returned to a robust worship. Verses 35 to 36. It says, At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all Israel, ninety-six rams and seventy-seven lambs, and as a sin offering, twelve male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and to the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people and the house of God. They returned ultimately for what? For worshiping of God. You see, the tone is set at the very beginning of Ezra's ministry when he landed in Jerusalem. The first thing, make sure everything's accounted for. Then, let's worship God. Let's give offerings to God. Let's thank God together. Worshiping of God. They offer burnt offerings. It is to represent the consecration of the worshipers. They want to offer themselves to God. The reason they came back is that they can serve God, worship God, and walk with God, and do God's will. They offer burnt offering. Everything is for God. Everything is for the glory of God. But they also offer sin offerings. This is to provide atonement for the worshippers' sinful nature. See, they offer sin offering for men and women to be sanctified by offering these sacrifices. And as we remember, Ultimately, all these sacrificial systems pointed towards the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world by offering Himself on the cross as the atonement for our sins. And that's the focus of worship. Jesus and, his, and Him crucified. So as we come back together, you know, very much like the team coming back to Jerusalem under Ezra's leadership, we come back together to worship God. And they deliver the commissions to the satraps. Satraps are the Persian officials overseeing all the governors. And together, by obeying to the king's commission, they aided the people in their worship life, in their life in Jerusalem, and they aided the house of God by, by giving resources available to the people there. But today, I just want to remind you, why do we reopen outdoor? Why are we coming back together? We come back together, really, we come back together to worship God. But can we worship online? Many of us feel very comfortable now. We know how to do online worship. And isn't that nice and easy and convenient? What's the difference? You see, now, online becomes normal. In-person becomes abnormal. But you know what? There is a difference between online worship and in-person worship. When I do online worship, I control the remote of the television. It fits my time schedule. I can go double speed to speed up the sermon. Uh, it follows my schedule and my convenience. And I don't always participate in the singing, in the reading of scriptures, in the standing for benediction, uh, in the communion. We, we don't always 
participate. It depends on how committed you are to the online worship. And of course, there are some legitimate needs and special needs, and people do have to consider to take a break and come back later, and I understand that. But my point is, online worship is not ideal. Online worship is not full worship. We have worship in appearance, but it may not be strong in the content and actuality in worship. What is in-person worship as we call you back to the church for outdoor worship in person with a group of different brothers and sisters? When we come in-person worship, I follow the planned worship. I submit to the plan. I need to prepare myself. I need to drive the church. I need to make a special effort. And when we come back together, it is not me alone or my family alone, but we are connecting with a group of the body of Christ. Not the whole group yet. We look forward to that day, but at least to a group of brothers and sisters. And they remind us that we belong to this body of Christ. It is, in a sense, as close to the pre-COVID-19 worship as it can be now before we come back to the indoor worship. Outdoor worship is as close as we can get to the pre-COVID-19 pandemics kind of a worship that we have always experienced in this place. And that's why we call you to come back if physically you are able. Uh, so we want to reiterate the reminder in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24-25. Do not neglect the meeting together the gathering together, do not neglect, as in the habit of some. Some of us has already made that the new normal. Some of us already, you know, support the online worship as the only way to worship. But now we are offering you a closer worship experience to come back in the outdoor worship. And I know that some of you have to be uh, uh, worship online, and we bless you with that. But others who are able to, we invite you to come back in person worship to honor the Lord together as you honor the Lord on online worship as well. We want to continue with our ministry as well, even in the midst of COVID-19. So we move a lot of things into online. Uh, we have worship, prayer meetings online. We have small groups online, even Awana and Sunday school and planning meetings. Uh, Cantonese have their retreats and their outreach. Um, we even have membership by statement online. That's wonderful. Ten new members join our church. But you know what? The next step, we are planning to have water baptism. We are planning, when we come back together, we want to baptize those who will join our church by immersion, one by one, one in one worship every Sunday, until everybody who wants to be baptized are being baptized. We want to move back as normal as we can in church life and basically telling us, hey, let's continue the journey strong together as a vibrant church. Now, when you are sitting in your living room in a group, look at each other. Look at your family members, you know, a couple, look at each other and say, does it make sense? Does it make sense to come back together with a high view of God, to come back together with integrity in heart, to come back together for the worship of God? Does it make sense? Look at each other. Ask each other and participate. Okay. Now, if it makes sense, then the message today is clearly a restatement of what God has done uh, to us. The message today is God is calling us to return with a high view of God 
and integrity of heart, and to a robust worship. That's how we prepare our hearts to come back together for、uh, outdoor worship. But this is the same principle that will apply to those who worship online in your respective home. It's the same principle that God calls all of us with a high view of God, integrity of heart, and a robust worship. Now, for application today, you know I've applied a lot in the three uh, uh, principles and the three outlines that I've shared with you. So today, I want to get you into a time of discussion, a reflection and discussion. Would you talk among yourselves in your respective home as you turn on the television? Don't go to other places unless you have to. But look at these discussion questions and just talk. Don't just turn off everything and then move on and do something else. But how should our church respond to the governor's order that will reflect a high view of God, integrity of heart, and a robust worship? Talk about that. What is God's heart for our church? Do you agree? Do you disagree? And why? And what is your conviction? Secondly, do you think legality, safety, sustainability, and glory is sufficient to guide our church to re? Reopen step by step. Now we reopen outdoor. Later we reopen indoor, and later we reopen everything. But would these four guidelines be sufficient? Why? Why do you think it's sufficient? And why do you think it's sufficient? What else do we need? And finally, with cultural, linguistic, and political diversity in our congregation, how do we maintain unity in our church? Talk about that as a family. If you're by yourself, maybe you can call your friend and say, "Hey, pastor says let's talk about that." Now I'm going to connect with you. Let's talk about that for let's say 30 minutes, or in a small group. Let's talk about that and see how to apply God's word into our lives. Then we are more engaging as we are still in our online worship. Would you do that? Thank you so much. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we are thankful for this message because from the life of Ezra. That you have called, bringing people through the second wave of return to Jerusalem to rebuild their spiritual life, we are learning lessons of how to return, because they return with a high view of God. They cared about God's name and God's reputation, and they returned with integrity of heart. They cared about being transparent, being accountable, being above reproach, and they returned to a robust worship. They landed on the land. They rested for three days. They gave back all the material goods and handed them accurately to the temple,、uh, to the priest, to the chief priest, and to the Levites. Then they start worshiping God, and we want to come back to worship as well. Lord Jesus, we ask you to teach us to know how to respond to your call and how to respond to your teaching, so that we can be a vibrant church of disciple makers. Thank you, Lord, for your message. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand and receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn His countenance towards you and grant you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God be with you and have a great week.